0: Is Hebrew Hits presented by JTriberadio.com? I'm your host, Malia, and I sit down with people who live by the motto it's what you do with what you have that makes a difference. Welcome back to an all new episode of Hebrew Hits. I'm your host, Malia. And today you are tuning in to the 29th episode. I am so excited for you to be here with me today. I have got Izzy Gilden over Zoom with me. And we are going to talk all about his music. But before we get there, I want to kindly ask you, if you can please go follow us on Hebrew Hits, Instagram account, which is Hebrew underscore Hits, and give us a follow on all your favorite streaming apps. And subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, everything, everything. Now let's get to the show, Izzy. So amazing to have you here. How are you doing today?
1: Hey, Amalia, I'm doing great. How are you? First of all, thank you so much for having me. I'm such a big fan of of your Instagram page and of of what you're doing. And I really appreciate you like interviewing all these Jewish artists and uh, people who are who are putting out content. And I think uh, it's a, it's a lane that really needed to be filled. And uh, I really appreciate you doing it. So thank you for having me.
0: Well, thank you. It's a pleasure having you on the show, and I'm so excited you're here. So tell me a little bit about yourself and where you come from.
1: So my name is Izzy, Izzy Gilden. I was born and raised in Toronto. I live in Crown Heights now. I write music. I do like sort of acoustic, folky, singer songwriteries that type of stuff.
0: How did you get to Crown Heights?
1: I got to Crown Heights because I was living in Toronto, and I was making music in like the downtown music scene there. I was playing open mics. I was doing like featured like these featured events through the open mics. I was able to get some gigs in like the dive bar scene. And I really wanted to be around Jewish musicians who are a little bit, you know, out of the mainstream Jewish music and sort of making English songs and, and singer songwritery type of stuff, but who are also religious. And New York, specifically Crown Heights, very much has that scene with the artists who are here. And I wanted to be in it. I wanted to be a part of it. And so I, you know, set my mind on Crown Heights. I found an apartment. Um, I thankfully lived with some other really great musicians. And um, yeah, that's how I got to Crown Heights.
0: Have you always been into music?
1: Yeah. I mean, I didn't start playing guitar until I was 20. I was kind of a late bloomer as far as musicianship goes. But I always sang. My family was, was very musical, thankfully. My father was a musician. And, you know, we would always sing at the Shabbos table and I would always harmonize and and that, that I've always been doing. Like when people ask me, uh, when did you start singing? I, I don't actually know. I don't ever remember not singing. But as far as playing music, I was around 20 when I first picked up a guitar and decided, you know what, I'm going to learn how to figure this thing out and really put some time into it.
0: So if um, you were able to do it at age 20, then there's nothing stopping anybody else who wants to try at whatever age they're at. No,
1: no there's nothing stopping anyone from doing anything. If you're really, really passionate about it and it's really important for you, then, then go for it. and and put in the work and, uh, you'll see the results.
0: So tell me a little bit about your background. Like what about your background has influenced the type of music that you do create?
1: Um, well, most of my songs are about events that have happened in my life. And I try to incorporate that in my music. Like I said, growing up, my father was a musician and, uh, you know, I just released this song, your eyes, which is about me visiting him in a nursing home. And when he was, when he was, um, he was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease and uh, dementia when I was really, really young and growing up. That's kind of what I always knew. That's, that's, that's the man that I knew, even though I was like, as a really young kid, I remember him being healthy, but you know, around the age of 10, 11, 12, when I um, really started to think for myself, that's kind of when he was getting worse and worse. And so later on, uh, when he was moved to a long-term facility, I would go and visit him and I would play guitar for him and the song that I just released, Your Eyes, is about those experiences, about me wanting to connect them. And so I try to incorporate the the songs that I write to be very specifically about my own personal life.
0: So tell me about how it was growing up in a house where your father did have Parkinson's. I know that you were talking to me about your bar mitzvah. So what happened when you were putting on tefillin?
1: Oh, yeah. So, I mean, I remember, I remember, like, when when kids you know first start putting on tefillin, right, their father comes and like everyone does the whole thing, and their father helps them put their tefillin on for them. It's like this big event. It's thirty days before your bar mitzvah, and like there's a whole party thing going on. And and, and at least that's what they did in my school because all the uh, all the seventh, all the sixth, seventh, and eighth graders would would uh, be at shulvers every day. And so I remember by my bar mitzvah, it was the opposite. I had to put tefillin on my father for him. And I remember feeling like so embarrassed about it and thinking back to it. Like, I wish that I wish that I had a little bit more respect and I wish that I had, um, you know, really appreciated the fact that I can I could help somebody, you know, with this mitzvah of putting on tefillin. I wish that I wasn't so selfish about it instead of being like, oh, this is my day. Like, I, I should have really appreciated the fact that I had this opportunity to really help someone put on tefillin. But yeah, there was always like that, that that was one of my my craziest memories of growing up is like that that reality of like you know my life is different than most other kids my age because of this
0: did your friends know what was going on or in your family or you just were quite i mean
1: the the whole community knew because my father was was uh very active in the community because he was like the toronto musician like he led our choir when we were like when, when we were in school he was the choir leader and so like mm-hmm. as his as his uh illness is getting worse and worse he's still doing all these gigs he's still leading the choir even though his hands are really shaky or like his his walking and his gait is like is he's stumbling over himself with all his equipment his keyboard his speakers like everything mm-hmm. and so like the whole community knew so it wasn't a secret at all it was it was actually very much out in the open which Made it little, even even more uncomfortable because it was like I, I felt like people were always kind of feeling bad for me or or stuff like that, which I didn't really appreciate so much. But yeah, I mean, my reality.
0: You probably never knew like was this person just being nice to me because they wanted to be they really wanted to be nice or because they felt bad and they were just like let me just be exactly. nice to this kid. Exactly,
1: and, and the truth is like it shouldn't really matter. But but yeah, when you're a kid, you're like a, you know. Like, I don't want to feel felt bad for. I just want to, I just want to be a part of this. Right. With dementia, you know, like these, these patients, it's, it's so like a lot of times I would be in front of him and I, and I wouldn't know if he recognized me and, and there was no dialogue. There was no conversation. His voice was so quiet because he was so weak that even if he would talk, I would have no idea what he was saying. And he would have these moments where I would play a song and he would remember the song and sometimes it was his own his own compositions. And he would remember the song and like start singing along to it. And like through that, there was like this train of of memory. It was it was kind of as if as if like there was like this black cloud that was just kind of like being revealed. And like there he was. And and then we would have almost a, a normal dialogue, a normal conversation as if the dementia didn't exist. And, you know, these were very rare moments. But they happened. And it, it always blew my mind that music has that ability and that power to do something like that. In the song, Your Eyes, there's a line that goes, and through, and through the dark, you'll hear that song that climbs through your confused mind. Do you remember me? And that line is like, through the dark, you'll hear that song that climbs through your confused mind. Like, uh, Like, I can't even imagine how confusing and difficult it must be to be a dementia patient where you have no idea like what's going on or who you're in front of and then all of a sudden there's like this this piece of music that that your your brain connects to and then like here i am there's this person in front of you and so in the line in the song it's okay so now that i'm here do you remember me and uh yeah that's what that's what that sound your eyes was written about
0: wow i know that when i listened to it I was like, this is an incredible song. But after hearing what it means and the meaning behind the song, I made sure my entire family heard the song. I was like, you're going on YouTube, you're listening to the song. And everybody was just getting the chills from it. they were like, this is, this is something, this is something else. So tell me about why you waited so long to come out with it. And what was the reaction once you did come out with the song?
1: Yeah. And that's a great question. Um, I, I had written it while my father was still alive. I mean, I had the bits and pieces together. My father passed away. Um, about three years ago, um, Hanukkah will be three years. Like it was, it was such a difficult song for me to, to write. And it was even more difficult for me to sing, especially in public. Cause I used to always get like choked up when I would sing it. And, uh, I just like, I felt like it was so intense and so deeply personal that I just like, every time I would sing it, it felt like I was just cutting myself open and just bleeding this song out. And I, I just didn't I didn't want that feeling, and I didn't like that feeling. And I I like when music kind of brings you up and makes you and makes you happy. And I didn't really like the way this song made me feel. And so, I, I tried not to perform it, even though I knew that like this was me and this was my reality, and this is a song that's deeply personal about what was going on in my life and and how I felt about it. And I performed it on stage in an open mic in the East Village, and. Usually when I perform at an open mic, people come up to me and they're like, oh, you know, your voice was so good. Or like, or they'll say like other compliments, like great guitar playing. And you're not really sure if like they're sincere or not, but you're always thankful for it. But when people come up to you after you play a song and they say stuff like, oh, my goodness, like my parents, you know, my mom had dementia. And like that song moved me so much. And I totally understand what you're saying. And I th- and I think tomorrow I'm going to go visit her because you played that song or... Or when someone says, "Like, oh my goodness, this reminds me of my grandmother," and you move me so much, I, you know, thank you for playing that song. It's you realize that that it's more than just getting up on stage, performing, and trying to, and trying to like get as much as as much um, honor and and uh, and pride in in your vocal ability or your guitar playing ability. There's there's something else at play here, something that's important, something that makes people feel, something that makes people act. And when someone says, thank you for playing a song that you wrote, it's just, you realize that this is just more important than how this song makes you feel. This is something that relates to so many other people who have shared this experience that no one really talks about. And people seem to kind of brush under everything. Um, And so like, I, I just never wanted to put it out there. And then recently I was doing a little, uh, living room concert with, uh, Called the Sterling Sessions. This is done by a guy named Eli Yahoo Ibrahimi. Guy from LA, really nice dude. We he he sublet at, at in my apartment for a while when he first moved to Crown Heights. And he used to throw these. He's in LA now, but he used to throw these um, these little living room concerts where we would pack into this into his room, into not in his room, and into the living room. And these local musicians from Crown Heights, Crown Heights would just come and play these really intimate shows. And uh, when I played this song at that show. I got a similar reaction, as I said before, where people just came up and they were like thanking me and people were crying. And, and, and someone said, you know, this song is so important. You need to release it. Uh, You need to put it out into the world. And I made it uh, after that performance. And that was only the second time I'd ever performed it in public. Um, The first time was that time in the, in the open mic. And so after, after hearing that, I said, you know what, like, as much as, as it pains me to sing this song and as much as it brings back like this whole period of my life that I'm no longer in anymore, that I've kind of, you know, grown from and moved on from this is, this is, uh, you know, such an important song and I'm, and I'm going to do it. And I got it recorded. I got it. I got it mixed. I got it mastered. I had it finished. And I sat on it for another few months before I was like, you know what, I'm putting it out done. It's getting, it's going out there.
0: So how do you feel now that it's out?
1: I feel relieved. I feel, I, f- I, feel, I feel relieved.
0: Do you feel like you're able to move on, like this was your final step?
1: Yeah, yeah. This was the final step of this song's life. I mean, obviously, I, I'll probably perform it a bunch. But but it, it, when you say you release a song, I, I, didn't, I never thought that it would be this kind of release, where it literally feels like I took something that was like bothering me inside and just literally got it out of me. It's kind of like when you have a thought in your head and, and and um and you write it down and it's out of your head and now it's on paper, it's just like that that good feeling of okay now it's now it has a place to live yeah. um, that's not in my head, that's not in my heart now it has a place to live. that's kind of how it feels, um, so I feel relieved. I feel like it was a real release
0: Wow, I'm so happy that you did release it because it definitely will help and inspire so many people. Random question I know it's you yep. You the song brown eyes meets green eyes. You know how you say yeah. that. So do you have brown eyes? Your father has green eyes or
1: did you just use different- uh, the opposite? I have green eyes. My father is brown. Eyes. I don't know if you can see from here, but
0: so Izzy, the next song I want to talk about is your song miles and miles. When did you write this song and what's the meaning behind this song?
1: So I created the song in 2016. It must've been in May because it was like right after off that, uh, I was decided to move from Toronto to New York. and the reason for that move is, as I said earlier in the interview, I really wanted to be around uh, you know Jewish religious mu- musicians who, are, who uh, were making music in, 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 a, in a cool um, scene and in a good environment. I had been in Toronto sort of helping out at home with my father at the time, and he had moved to the nursing home and and although I was visiting him in the nursing home, it's not like I was doing much to really help him um, other than sort of visiting you know a few times a week. And I felt like he was in good hands at the home. And I felt like it was time for me to, to, to you know, move on and kind of take care of me. Yeah. Like be my own person. And I had moved to, to New York to sort of pursue this music thing. Miles and Miles is about, is about leaving all my friends, you know, my father, my mother, the whole world of Toronto behind. And the, the verses, all these streetlights and stop signs and miles and miles and miles away from you, you know, they'll never keep us apart. Meaning like I'll be back. Even though I'm going there to do this thing, I'm still, I'll be back. I'll come visit. Um, we're not apart. Even though there's all these streetlights and stop signs and miles and miles and miles away from you. And so that was, that's what that song was written about. And that was actually written. I did one final show at this cafe called the Free Times Cafe that I used to play all the time. That was like my spot. Um, I would do shows there all the time. I, I decided, like that night, my final show, I'm going to I'm going to write a song, like in honor of this show. And I remember I had the uh, I had like the vibe that I wanted, like that four on the floor sort of like Mumford and Sonsy type of vibe of like dun 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 which is what this song, the whole backbeat of the song is is based off of that. And I remember I, I like it was a few hours before the show, and I really didn't have the song at all. I had like a few things. Put together but not really and i recorded it into my voice notes on my on my iphone and i went to starbucks and i put and i put it in my ears and i just played it on repeat over and over again and i just penned out the entire song within an hour and a half sitting at a starbucks and then i performed night for the first time (laughs) and how did that go it went really really well i was with some 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 good musicians who were able to kind of get you know catch on really quickly And yeah, it went really well. People loved it. It was like my closing, my closing song. And it was like my farewell. And, uh, you know, when I moved to New York, I recorded it and put it out there. And, you know, that was my first song. And it's still my most listened to song, most streamed song, most viewed song, or favorite song of most of my songs, I believe.
0: That's awesome. Well, now that you are in New York, do you ever envision yourself moving back to Toronto? Like, are you a Torontonian
1: at heart? I don't know. It's a good question. It's a good question, especially after this whole COVID nineteen situation, where like New York is getting crazier and crazier by the day. All the good things that there are about New York aren't really as accessible as they were. But I don't know. I don't know if I would move back to Toronto. There's something about New York. There's a lot going on here. Um, you know, the past few weeks I've been going on these camping trips with uh, a lot of people, and and these type of things don't happen in Toronto. They don't really happen as in the Jewish community. They don't really happen that. In that many places outside of New York, and so there's something really, really special about the community here and the events and the things that are happening. And uh, I, I don't think um, I don't think I would want to give that up so quickly. And here, um, so how
0: has your life changed since you moved to Crown Heights?
1: There's a lot more Jews making music in New York, and in Crown Heights, there's like this this really, really close knit bubble of musicians. I don't know if that's the right word, but there's <laughs> so many like. I, I I was roommates with Shlomo and Zach from Zusha. There's Yosef David lives like around the corner. Um, there's this guy Joshie Engelson, who's who's uh, you know Cedars of Lebanon just released a song. There's musicians moving in. There's there's always there's so much music happening within these these small little blocks of Crown Heights that like it's just been unbelievable and so inspiring. You know, they say, they say that you're the sum of, of the 10 people you spend the most time and the most amount of time with. And, uh, I don't know who's, who, who's quote that is, but being around musicians who are and like have obviously stroll where there's backyard concerts all the time. And there's, there's so much crown Heights has so much music infused in it that it's just been so amazing. I mean, I lived in Toronto for a while and I didn't release any music, even though I was working at, even though I was working on it. It wasn't until I moved to Crown Heights that I really put out, you know, the four songs that I have available now.
0: Wow. It sounds like it's a little mini spot over there in Crown Heights. I haven't really been to Crown Heights that much, but is that like what it is? Similar to spot? Yeah,
1: I, I think it's very different than spot, but yeah, sort of. I guess in the, in, the, in the sense that like there's so many artists and musicians making things happen.
0: Yeah, that's, I'm saying like everyone's all together and everyone's singing and concerts happening a lot. That's That's what it sounds like. You know I'm
1: saying? For yeah. And we're not talking about big concerts. We're talking about these little tiny little events, <laughs> you know, in people's living rooms, like the Sterling sessions that I spoke about before or, mm-hmm. or, or have obviously backyard concerts. Or, and yeah, there's, there's, there's like jams that we do and, and there's, there's, there's just so many musicians and in, in such a small little area that, it just breeds creativity. It breeds inspiration. And The Road is also very, very much written about me visiting my father in the nursing home. And I was sitting across from him in one of these moments where I was playing music for him, and he wasn't really connecting to it this time. And so I was kind of doing my own thing. And I came up with this melody that goes like, Oh, 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 oh. And I was just kind of singing it over and over and over again. And I didn't really know what to do with it. I, I came home that day and I was in a songwriting program um, where we were required to uh, come up with a song. And I was with my friend Aiden um, in his grandmother's basement. And I had to come up with a song for, the, for my assignment the next morning. I didn't have anything. And so I had just, I had just written this, this melody. And I was like, oh, maybe I can come up with words for it. But like, there was no words that really fit it. And I and I felt like words would kind of mess it up. And so I just kind of kept that melody as like a wordless melody. And mm-hmm. I just came up with verses around it sitting in my friend Aiden's grandmother's basement. And we just kind of wrote this thing out and showed up to my songwriting class the next morning and presented it as the chorus was the O-O-O part. And these were the or the lyrics and uh this song is is about wanting my father to know like there's still hope and in every single dire situation um there's still there's still forward motion there's still you know even even in the worst situation there's still there's still places to move forward there's you can still keep moving you can still keep driving um and it's a metaphor of a road you know like you don't have to look at what's behind you and what's in the past you can just keep moving and like if you have a destination in mind then keep driving on that. Don't look back, keep driving, which is what I repeat at the end of the song. On top of that, oh, whoa, whoa part, is I go, don't look back, keep driving. Don't look back, keep driving. And so, yeah, that's what that's what the road is about.
0: So I know you that you told me you were going to release, you had a release date for the song and then you weren't sure if you were going to release it.
1: Yeah, so I had set a release date. I don't remember the exact date that I had set it for, but I had set a release date and I had started like promoting it you know, a few weeks beforehand, letting people know, hey, I have this new song, The Road Coming Out. I, I dropped like little hints of the video. And Hanukkah came around and I heard the news that my father passed away. And I'd wrote, written the song sort of for him as like a way to show him that like there's there's hope. Um, and it was just such a an awkward time to release a song. And I still had my release date set. And I remember getting back from the Shiva, and the release date was set for like a few days later. And I, I didn't know what to do with it. I was like, wait, do I just pull this off and just, and, and just, you know, wait. And even when I put it out, like my family, because, because they were all on like none of them were able to listen to it. And I was just like, you know what? I set the release date for this date and I'm just going to put it out there that it was supposed to be released on this day. And I just dropped it. That was it. It's out. We decided it's, it's this day. I'm not going to stop it from happening on that day. It's it's going out there. And if you look in the YouTube video, um, in the description, I write an entire long... It was obviously a very emotional time for me. Um, and so I just wrote out the whole story behind it. You know, the, the feeling of... of uh, I tried to be as descriptive as possible as about what it felt like to be in the nursing home the day that I wrote that song. And yeah, uh, if, if anyone's interested to see what that song is is about or to sort of see where I was at that time, just check the description in the YouTube video for the road. And there's a whole long written out story about it. I
0: will link that in the description below. Were you able to ever play the song for your father?
1: No, I was not. Unfortunately. Um, I would have loved to, like I said, I had played that melody for him that one time, but I never played him the song in its whole entirety. I wish I did. So I had another song that I won't release cause, cause, uh, it, it, it's it, it's a funny song that I wrote with a whole like spoken word part to it. Uh, there's a lot of bad words in it. It doesn't really fit my brand, but I used to love performing it all the time. And people would always like love it. It, it was a crowd favorite when I, would, when I would be doing it live. I wasn't sure what I was going to do with it exactly. And I have a friend named Yaakov Bressler who is who he produces like musicals. He's incredibly talented, really, really driven. He was doing this thing, this event for like these 10 minute musicals. So a bunch of people get up and like actors get up and perform like a a quick 10 minute musical. Um, and so he called me, he said, Hey, what are you doing with that song of yours? I think this would be great to like put it together as a 10 minute musical. And I said, yeah, let's do it. So we sat there and we, and we wrote it out and we got actors and it was a Friday afternoon. And I, I, I went over to, um, to his, his place and in up in Harlem we had a bunch of actors and I was like directing them and, and, you know, kind of telling them exactly how the character should be portrayed in this musical thing. And that's when I got the phone call from my mom. I, my phone just kept ringing. And I was like, why is my mom calling me? Like mom, stop calling me. And it just kept ringing. and kept ringing. And I was like, okay, I need to answer this. And I answered it. And that's when she broke the news. I was standing in front of two actors <laughs> getting the news that my mm-hmm. father, and it was such a weird moment. It, it was like, I didn't know how to handle anything i was like so uncomfortable around people i barely knew yeah that, that's how the news was broken to me and i got on the train all the way from harlem all the way back to, to crown heights and it was just such an intense train ride like I, I had my i had my hood over my head i was just like bawling the entire way home i i have zero recollection of any. Anything or anybody around me, I don't remember that trip at all. I just remember just tears just pouring down my face um, until I got home, and then I, I you know, went back to Toronto uh, right after Chavez uh, for the funeral and for everything. Wow. Yeah.
0: Oh man, Whew. wow! And I can't believe you came out with your song like two weeks later.
1: Yeah, I, I like I said, I was very skeptical about putting it out there. I, I, I wasn't sure if I was going to do it. I, I was ready to just wait a year or whatever. I was just like, let me put a hold on everything.
0: So what was the response like after you put it out?
1: Really, really good. I don't remember exactly, but I know that like I got a lot of really, really, really like special phone calls from a lot of people I really, really love. And yeah, that was another moment where I released a song where it wasn't just like, oh, hey, good job, dude. It was like, wow, like... I remember a friend of mine whose father also was, uh, you know, had Parkinson's and dementia and had passed away. Like he gave me a phone call and he and he we just talked for so long about all of it. And yeah, it was just like really powerful.
0: You've got one more song. It's called Bring Me Closer. It's actually about your relationship with Hashem. Would you mind sharing how you were feeling when you wrote this song and when you wrote it?
1: I wrote it. I was living in Toronto in in my in my mom's apartment after my dad had, had moved into the nursing home already. I was in my room just by myself and just feeling so confused about my relationship with God. And I, I remember thinking, like, I was trying to in. It, it must have been Marv because it was definitely at nighttime, I remember. And I was like, what am I, like, who am I talking to? Is anyone listening to me? What am I doing? <laughs> what am I talking to? Am I just talking to myself here? And uh, in the lyrics, it's like, If I'm alone in my own bedroom, then why do I feel down to my bones like I'm so far from home? The song is "Bring Me Closer." The chorus is "Just bring me closer to you." So, like, I'm sitting here, I'm pretending to Davin or whatever it is that I'm doing, and I'm not connecting. So, if there is some sort of relationship here, then then can you please like do something because you are God to bring me closer to you because I'm really trying here and I'm not feeling anything. The opening, the opening line, the opening lyric is literally Hashem, I say, open up my lips and let my mouth sing instead of speak only of your praise. And yeah, I was just feeling so in such a weird place, like in so in limbo, like so many years had passed by and I, I was in such a different place than I thought I would be. And I was just so confused as to who I was talking to while I was trying to dive in that I said, I just said, bring me closer to you. That's how that song was written.
0: Did you always have a struggle with the connection?
1: I mean, I, I I always had a very interesting relationship with God because I always felt like I was dealt a really bad hand with my family situation. And As a teenager, I was always just like upset. If whatever relationship existed with God as a teenager, it was like, how can you do this? Like, what is this? Like who would do this to such a great man? Like my father was such a, such a great and giving person, like never, ever got upset at anyone was so involved in like helping people and just like being so positive. Like, like, what are you doing? Why would, why would you decide that this is the thing that he deserves? And it's something that I would never understand, but like, that was sort of my relationship. How can you do this? Like, what is this? What are you doing? And so I was and how more, has that you know,
0: changed over the years?
1: I'm not sure that it has because those things still happen to that person. And so uh, I'm still a little bit confused about it. I try to think about what are the good things that came about it. You know, obviously my life is the way it is and I'm I'm super happy with my life. And obviously my life is the way it is and because of all the things that have happened up until this point. And so I can't possibly complain and I'm so blessed with everything that I have. My ability to to be patient and and to and to not get upset at, at certain things definitely stems from my experiences with my father. And so like I'm, I'm super grateful for for how I am. I very re- like anybody who knows me will can can say that I very rarely get upset or impatient or aggravated. I'm I'm pretty even keel and pretty calm, and I think that 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 very very much has to do with everything that has happened to me in my life. And so, yeah, for that I can I can only be grateful for it. But I don't think that that the confusion of why of why bad things happen to good people has ever, has ever left.
0: I will never know that answer. I I don't, I I don't have any answers for you. I'm just, I I don't, I don't know.
1: Nobody does. (laughs) Nobody does.
0: Has your father ever, ever created his own music? And if so, can find it anywhere?
1: Yeah. Um, My father actually has written so many, many songs. There was actually an album called Hari Yehuda. That was put out in 2009. um, Of just my father's compositions. And, a bunch of a bunch of really famous Jewish singers have sung on them on that album. And you can find it if you just search Yehuda Gilden on, uh, on Spotify. Um, not, I, it will probably come up on YouTube also and search up the album Hari Yehuda. Um, it will come up and Yaakov Schweki sang a song and Avram Fried sang a song and and Yassi Pimenta sang a song. Uh, A.B. Rottenberg, Shlomo Simcha, Baruch Levine, a lot of the really, really big jewish artists have have all sang songs and my father when whenever these guys used to come in into toronto my father would always be you know playing music with them he, he had a choir called the Eight high boys choir that it, when they would come and do concerts the choir would be the the ones to back them up and my father was almost always playing keys or leading the orchestra in some sort of way and so they've all like encountered my father at some at some point in their careers when they came through toronto and so yeah when when they when uh when the the community of Toronto, where there's a lot of there's a lot of musicians, David Rottenberg, Solomon Simcha, to name just two of them, there's there's so many great musicians in Toronto. Um, when they decided to, uh, to and David Kirzner, when they decided to to put this project together, thankfully, you know, all these all these uh, musicians who had who had you know been around my father when they came through Toronto were were willing to uh, you know do him the solid and sing his songs and put it out in the world.
0: Wow, were you ever in his choirs?
1: Yeah, I was. was I was in. Yeah, he was a good choir leader.
0: So I know that you said that when you turned Bar Mitzvah, going back a little bit, you had to put the tefillin on him. How long was he able to play keyboard for?
1: I think that might have been his last. I think that might have been his last year when I was thirteen. I think that might have been his last year, um, like playing keyboard. I mean, he he really shouldn't have been doing it. I think he just loved it too much to give it up. Good, he didn't. Yeah. Right. I think so. Yeah. I mean at some point like his his like his skill his skills weren't there anymore um he just couldn't do it physically he wasn't able to do it anymore and like he he really really pushed himself to to do it. i remember i remember like i can still see it in my in my head right now like i can still remember i can i can visualize moments of him holding his keyboard or his massive speakers and like stumbling across the room to like set them up he wouldn't let people help him he would just carry them himself wow um, like when people offered to help he would take it but in general he liked to uh He liked to sort of do things on his own, and and still he he pushed through like a champ.
0: Yeah, because it seemed like he didn't like to ask people for things even.
1: If people offered to help, he would take it, but very rarely would he ask anyone for anything.
0: So I wish your father has a big aliyah in Shemayim, and he's for sure so proud of you. I know that you write music, you compose music. How do you actually get your music onto the streaming apps?
1: Like Spotify, Apple Music.
0: yeah. If somebody would want to, this is for somebody who actually wants to become a musician, but has no idea how to get their music on the streaming apps. How would they do that? Okay.
1: So just like, just like if you were to have a product that you want to sell at Walmart, you can't just walk into Walmart and say, "Um, here's this, uh, here's this thing that I made. Can you put it on your shelf? Uh, Walmart has contracts with distribution companies that you have to Generally, have to work through in order to get your stuff on their shelves, and it's a similar thing with iTunes and with Spotify or with Google Play. These are all "quote unquote" uh, music stores, and in order to get on there, you have to do it through a distribution company. And there's a list of distribution companies. There's DistroKid, and there's TuneCore, and there's CD Baby, and there's all these different reasons why each one is better than the other. Um, some of them have you pay like a yearly fee for unlimited songs to upload to their their service and they'll and they'll uh put it onto Spotify for you. Most of them will collect the royalties that you make from your streaming for you. And the difference between them, there's a guy on online. Um, his name is Ari Herstand and he's like my Rebbe when it comes to when it comes to uh, music business. And, uh, he has like a full comprehensive breakdown of the pros and cons of each digital distribution company, as they're called the difference between DistroKid, the difference between CD baby, the difference between TuneCore, core, all these, uh, digital distribution companies, um, and why you should choose which one. Um, well, actually he doesn't say why you should choose this one. He just gives his honest pros and cons to each one. And every single one of them are different. Every single one of them has good things. Every single one of them has bad things. So there's no, there's none of them that are better than the other. There's just whatever it is that you're looking for, you can find in each of them. And Ari, Ari Herstand is not paying me to say this, but if you go onto his website or just Google, which digital distribution company should I use? it's called Ari's take will probably be the first thing to pop up. And he gives like a full breakdown, what the difference between all of them are and what the pros and cons of using any of them are.
0: That's awesome. So which one did you choose?
1: So for my first three songs, I did CD Baby. That, that was like the original, like one that was like one of the first. For this last one, I I used uh, DistroKid, and the reason I did that is because I've been having a little bit of, of issues with um, sort of keeping track of of the royalty collection. And I know that DistroKid is a little bit better at sort of presenting exactly what you're owed and 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 uh, showing it to you in their in their online streaming site. And in addition, CD Baby charges you per upload. And I, I plan on releasing a lot of music in the next year. And DistroKid is a one-year a one fee. So what you're paying for each song to put up on CD Baby, you only pay that once a year. And if you have a lot of music coming out, then I felt like financially it was more worth it. So that's why I used DistroKid for this last song. But for the first three songs, I use CD Baby.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Good to know and good for our listeners to know too, if they want to put out some music. So before we go, is there anything that you'd like to say?
1: First of all, thank you so much for having me on. Maya, this has been really, really great. And I really appreciate you doing this. And as I said at the beginning, I really appreciate you giving this platform to all of the artists who have been on and who will be on. And I, I believe that this format is, is perfect for what we need in the Jewish community for Jewish artists, and I think that it's so authentic, it's so real, and I think that you know your your page is only going to grow bigger, your your uh, your influence is only going to grow bigger, and I'm I'm so honored to uh, have been on here, and thank you so much for everything.
0: Thank you, thank you for your kind words and your and your like I love that I love just positive feedback and just positive words. It means so much, so thank you for that. Thank you. You just listened to the 29th episode of Hebrew Hits. I'm your host, Malia, and I am so happy I was able to bring you this episode with Izzy Gilden. If you liked what you heard, please give us a thumbs up, a subscribe on our podcast, and please go follow us on Instagram at Hebrew underscore Hits. All of Izzy's links are in the description below. Go check them out, and we'll be back next week. Same time, same place.